I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Welcome to the first episode of season two of Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm so excited to be back. In today's episode, we'll meet Shayna, a 41-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as biracial, half black, half white, heterosexual, monogamous, and currently in a relationship. I apologize for the fact that there are some clicking noises throughout this interview. We've done our best to mitigate them and appreciate your patience with what remains. I am so pleased to introduce Shayna. I am incredibly pleased to have you here. Um, we've talked a little bit about your dating experiences over the last <laughs> several months. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to learn a lot more about you and where you came from and hear what's going on in your life now, because it sounds like you have some exciting recent news. Mm. <laughs> so thanks for being with me. Oh, thank you for having me. Let's start at the very beginning. How did you discover the concept of sex? Do you remember? How did I discover the concept of sex? I do remember. I was, um, my parents had a philosophy around always answering questions honestly and clearly, um, even if they were uncomfortable for adults. So I, I don't remember how old I was, but I was pretty little, I think four or five. And they got me a book because I had apparently asked some questions. I still have the book, um, which described sex, having babies, all in sort of, I mean, it was, it was very straightforward and honest, but also in a little bit of a, like with a little, you know, golden glow around it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you remember your first like real interest in sex as something that you wanted to do? Hmm. Yes. Uh, that was middle school. I can't say that I wanted to expressly have sex, but I started experiencing um, desire for boys. Mm. And I remember, actually, I, I still sometimes feel this. I used to have this habit of if I liked a boy, I would learn his class schedule and I would make sure I was in his path. <laughs> as he was going from class to class so I would like yes. pack up all my stuff and run race across you know to the other side of the school so that I could stand casually in the hallway and pretend to ignore him <laughs> uh, but most of my life I was very uncomfortable with ever being vulnerable so I couldn't express that I actually liked him whoever it was 
Um, but mm-hmm. I would put myself in his path over and over and over again, hoping that he would be aggressive enough to push past those walls. And so if I was, you know, everything was had to be timed exactly right. And so if I was running a little late, like packing up my bag, I would feel this intense sort of physical um, reaction, like a, a, a strong, mm. I don't know what the, is there a better word than horny? <laughs> like this, a, a tingle, like a very strong feeling. And I, I still get it when sometimes if I'm um, in, in my, if, if I'm in late in a dream, mm. it's erotic. And I'm like, oh. that's interesting. That's what I trace it back to in my mind. I'm not sure if that's exactly right. That's fascinating. But it was, yeah, because it was like, oh, I'm going to miss my shot at seeing this guy that I have this incredible crush on. Huh. Um, so that's the first time I remember paying attention to men and it being associated in some way with, or boys at that time, yeah. and it being associated in some way with a physical desire. And so you, uh, you said that you were hoping that one of them would be aggressive or assertive enough to do something about it. Did that ever happen? Yeah, definitely. The problem was that when you are cool and aloof and the other person has to be aggressive, you end up with men who sometimes are too aggressive mm. or stalkers <laughs> that you can't get rid of. It took me some time to find the right balance. Yeah. So what did that look like when you found the right balance? Well, it just, I think I just got there maybe <laughs> two or three years ago. <laughs> I think that my my capacity to demonstrate interest grew over the years, mm. uh, certainly. But, uh, and I noticed, you know, I was start noticing the pattern of like, oh, wait, I'm requiring this immense amount of energy on behalf of a man who's pursuing me. Um, and then well, this is what it's, ending up looking like in the relationship, like, hmm, let's do something about this. Um, and I was doing a lot of over the years, you know, did a lot of personal work to try to push my push my vulnerability boundaries um, so that I could end up in more of an equal place. It was always a struggle for me, though. And it, it wasn't a calculated decision. It was it felt I, I remember vividly being in a very intense conversation with someone who I was very much in love with, actually in my high school, my first love. And he was like trying to get from me how I felt about him. And he's like, I, you know, I don't know how you feel about me. And if I don't know that, then I can't move forward. You know, and here there's this other girl who is crazy about me. And she tells me all the time. And how do you feel like you're the one I really want? And we were standing in the stairwell. I can remember it so vividly. And I felt this very powerful, like an internal barrier, almost like a I, I sort of always imagined it as a wall around my heart that I can mm. feel myself sort of pushing against to be able to say, um, to be able to say anything to him. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I just physically could not. Mm. And um, so I, I expanded my boundaries over time. Um, but it's, it was all, it was a struggle for a long time. As I've looked back on it, I think that what's become clear to me is that being protected or safe or strong are very, very strong values in my family, uh, especially for women. And that people will, there's the sort of narrative is people will try to hurt you 
you have to be stronger and more dangerous than them mm. if you want to stay safe. Mm. Um, and so being vulnerable, even being able to say something like that hurt my feelings or, you know, I have, I'm, I have a need and this is my need was not allowed or acceptable. And that wasn't an explicit instruction that anybody gave me. I think it was just my interpretation of the overall rule, which is, you know, be strong, be safe. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense that that is, is a messaging that developed out of your racial background? Or is that a personality thing that came down through the generations? That's a great question. I do associate that with the black women in my family. And part of that is being, you know, a strong, independently minded, uh, powerful, powerful personality, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, black woman in the South, and the times that they were. And so yes, I think part of it is racial. I think part of it is the history of relationship dynamics, also Mm -hmm. in my family, Mm -hmm. and what women are supposed to be like, what men are supposed to be like, what men can get away with, the ways that women maintain control, which actually I think in some ways is present on both sides of my family. I mean, people find each other because their wounds are connected, right? So it doesn't surprise me that like that, that it shows up in both places. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your first sexual experience and, and you get to define what sexual means in this context. Um, what was it like for you? My first, not my first time having sex, but my first sexual experience was with a guy I was not in a relationship with, but was dating uh, over an extended period of time, my freshman year in high school. And he used to come over to my house after school. I lived two blocks away and I would look out the window and see him like pulling up along the fence at the side of the house and that's how I would know he was coming over and he we would make out for like a hundred (laughs) years and we never took our clothes off you know we never we just make out and so I think I think of that as my first sexual experience we never had sex Mm -hmm. how old were you I was 14 Mm -hmm. um and I really liked him and he stopped coming over one day. I mean, we never had a conversation about what was happening between us or whatever. He stopped coming over one day and he, he was a white guy and he stopped, stopped coming over. And the next thing I knew he had a girlfriend who was like one of the golden girls, this not Mm. in the sense of the show, but like one of the beautiful (laughs) white girls in the school. Yeah. Um, so that taught me two things. One, it reinforced that you have to be a certain kind of girl to be treated with value by a man um and two that white men were going to choose white women over me oh and that I was I was going to be a secret and they were going to be public and has that have you experienced that in later relationships I never had any other relationships with white men after that oh and I never really connected that to him um I have a I have this I guess there's no better word for it than hang up that I feel like having any sort of sexual interaction with a white man feels like I'm indulging his like slave shack fantasy, mm. which could be the furthest thing from the truth or it could be real. I don't know, but I can't relax. Yeah. Um, and I, I find it very difficult to, even though I have, I've had 
a good friend who was a white man who I would have loved to have been in a relationship with and I couldn't make myself do it. So it doesn't necessarily preclude um, attraction to a white man, Mm -hmm. but it does preclude involvement with a white man. Yeah, I can't imagine. Again, this is my shit. (laughs) This is my hang up. But I can't imagine. It's hard for me to imagine being truly partnered by a white man. And I wonder if that's because I've never seen it. You know, that wasn't my family structure or because of some of those early experiences. You know what happens when we give our partner positive reinforcement about our favorite things they do in bed? They do more of what we like. That's why I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. Knowing you value this podcast keeps me motivated to continue creating it. Here's one review that's got me excited to keep going. VMBM4 wrote, Leah's podcast has really encouraged me to change the way that I view sexuality. This podcast has given me the courage to begin to find ways to heal from past trauma and also to embrace my own sexuality as a woman. It is very inspiring and informative. I highly, highly recommend this podcast. VMBM4, thank you so much. Your words mean the world to me. There's also another way you can support me in continuing to produce these open and honest conversations about female sexuality. Become a community supporter at Patreon, where your donation unlocks lots more good girls talk about sex. I've adjusted the rewards for season two so you can more easily access the extra content. At the $1 a month level, you'll get occasional patron-only content, Plus, a heaping dose of my love and gratitude. At the $5 a month level, you'll get that, plus portions of that week's interview that we had to cut from the main episode due to time constraints. At the $7 a month level, you'll get that, plus the full Q&A. The main episode has the quick five, but the full interview includes a 20-plus question Q&A, and patrons get to hear the whole thing. At the $10 a month level, you'll get all that, plus a monthly Ask Me Anything, where you can ask me your burning questions about sex, sexuality, and sexual communication. Plus, for Season 2, 10% of all Patreon donations I receive will go to ARC Southeast, an organization that provides financial and logistical support to people seeking reproductive health services in Southeastern United States area, where safe and even life-saving services are being legislated out of existence. To learn more and become a community supporter, visit patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. And as always, word of mouth is the best advertising. So please, don't forget to tell your friends. Those early explorations sound really sweet and very lovely. Did you derive pleasure from that? Like actual sexual? That's a good question. 
I don't think, I think it was a long time before I thought about me deriving pleasure from sexual interactions with boys. I think at that time I was thinking about holding a boundary, making sure we didn't have sex Mm -hmm. and pleasing him. Mm -hmm. And I thought about, I mean, I think I held on to that focus on pleasing my partner for a very long time. It, yeah, it was, I think I was in college before I had great sex. And what made it great? We had a great dick. <laughs> like, you know how when someone just like has a great dick, like it just happened to really fit, match me. Yeah. Um, and he was extremely uh, masculine. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm tall, I'm strong. I'm a, I have a strong personality. I'm a powerful woman. And, um, it takes, I am drawn to a man who can make me feel like he's in charge Mm. or make me feel small, physically small. Um, because I'm usually bigger than most other people in the room. Yeah. So he was masculine, very masculine. And I felt I I felt very attracted to him even before we had sex. I, you know, he just ignited that in me. Um, He was aggressive. I really liked that then. Um, And I didn't love him. And so I wasn't as concerned about what was, you know, Mm. what, what, what was this doing to our relationship? You know, was he happy? Did he love me? What was going to happen? Were we going to stay together? I came to love him and we we did enter a relationship. But when we started having sex, it was my attempt to try to engage in more of a casual, this is what kids do type of thing. I'd mm-hmm. always been in a relationship and it was so much better than it ever was before or since. Now it's a, it's a different situation, but before or for a long time after, it was a unique experience because it wasn't tied up with a bunch of emotion for me. I had had this aha moment of recognizing that I had never chosen um, to have sex with anybody Mm -hmm. that I had had sex with up till that point. Now I was 38 when I met him and I'd been having sex since I was 16 and all in almost exclusively in consensual loving relationships. But the beginning, the first time was always like, Oh, you know, we were making out and it went too far or it sort of happened accidentally or, you know, it went so far that you had to or he did it and I wasn't expecting him to. Um, It was never a I chose. I'm ready. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, And I traced that when I thought about it, I traced that back to my first time actually having sex, which, as I said, I, I had been having these sort of sexual explorations with my first love. And then he graduated and went to the army and um i started dating this other guy and who you know the relationship hadn't gone that far but we were you know officially boyfriend and girlfriend whatever that means when you're 16 years old and we were making out um in the car before we were supposed to go to the movies And he sort of, you know, maneuvered himself to be uh, on top of me in the passenger seat of the car. And he, in 
you know, I'd done this a dozen times with my first love and he always stopped and said, do you want to, or is it okay or whatever? And I would always say, no, <laughs> like I told you at the beginning, that wasn't <laughs> going to happen. Like you can keep asking, but no. <laughs> um, so it just didn't even occur to me that he would just do it. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, um, I can't remember exactly the question he asked me. I think he said, put it in. And I said, no. And he just, you know, pushed in anyway. Mm. And I, it had been a very, you know, I had, I would wanted to have sex already at that point for years. I was deciding that I wanted my first time to be a certain way that I wanted to be loved and respected, that I wanted a certain kind of experience. And I was holding that on purpose. And so it was really, um, there isn't really a strong enough word for how devastating or disappointing that moment was. And at the same time it was done and he was my boyfriend. So when he finished, I pretended like it was okay. Like I was happy Mm -hmm. and we continued our relationship you know, it didn't last much longer. He wasn't, I mean, I can't say he was like, wasn't a great person. He was 16 years old and he was going through a lot. But he wasn't good to me. So looking back at that experience from an adult point of view, what would you call it? Would you call it non-consensual? Would you go so far as to call it rape? I've never comfortably called it rape Mm -hmm. because I didn't push him away and I didn't say anything more strongly than no. Mm -hmm. Um, It was non-consensual. I did not want to have sex. Yeah, but it's hard to, one, I don't like to tell the story, so I've told it, you know, three times in my life, maybe, mm. and I, and I I have always been afraid that, you know, anybody who heard it would be like, well, of course, like, you don't really have a leg to stand on here, like, you shouldn't mm-hmm. have let him, you know, position himself between your legs, which, looking back on it, as some, after you've had sex, of course, you know that, there's no other reason for someone to be there. But before I just, I hadn't had that experience. I really didn't know that. And I had had this, you know, protracted sort of caring, making out thing for a long time where sometimes that did happen, but nothing, you know, it was still my choice. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I think it's really important to affirm that it doesn't matter how someone is positioned or where they are or what has happened yet that you have until the moment it happens, the right to say, no, this isn't what I want. And even after it has happened to say, stop, I want this to stop. And I think that we get caught up because as young girls and young women, we haven't really been told that, at least in our generation, maybe it's changing now. I'm I'm not really sure. But, you know, we were taught to be very acquiescent and to not say everything that was in our mind. Um, and so we were not given the skills to say, no, stop. And so there are a lot of women walking around thinking, well, it's my fault that I didn't stop it when it's not, we did not have the words, we did not have the skills. And, 
And that's not on us to have to then prove that somehow this was a bad actor. And it doesn't matter if the other person was a bad actor. What matters is that you had an experience that you didn't want. And that in itself is, is terrible. And I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, it is helpful to see it from an adult point of view and to say, especially now with all the conversation that's happening with consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that is what helped me see like, Oh, I definitely didn't give consent. And that's like, that's a relevant fact here. <laughs> like, not just like yeah. I didn't have, I, I didn't say no strong, loudly or strongly enough, but I definitely didn't say yes. So that, that has been, that has helped, I think, it, just witnessing the kinds of conversations that are happening in the larger society for women and for girls around consent um, and for around the discussion around what should be being taught to boys, I think has been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I tell that story to say that over the years, I never, I never tried to control it again, whether we were going to have sex or not. So I know that you have recently started dating or relatively recently started dating someone new. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what this relationship is like and, and how you and I have spoken some before you started this relationship about how to communicate your needs and desires with a new partner. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how that has played out for you. Yeah. So I, after that breakup, break through break <laughs> down I was single for um two and a half years it was you know I just couldn't I just wasn't ready when I first started dating um the first the first person that I got you know serious enough with to have sex with um one it was a little bit of it was a curiosity for me because I'm like hmm here I am this different person I'm a a more vulnerable vulnerable or at least vulnerability allowing version of myself and, you know, what will that be like? What will I be attracted to? What will I bring in? What will I want? Um, so it was an interesting first time in that way. And he was very caring. Um, but he wasn't like it, it felt to me like the, the doors of communication were not mm-hmm. open. You know, we never talked about it. Um, you know, after we had sex, we never talked about it. I, you know, if I asked him questions, I, it, was, it was hard to get him to say anything. Um you know, we had a robust sexual relationship, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't expressed in the verbal side of our relationship. And we had a very robust verbal side of our relationship in terms of communicating. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed strange. Like there was a, there was a strange sort of wall there. Um, hence our conversation. <laughs> like, hmm, how do I broach this? Um, and it was interesting also to see that, that hesitation or ten- tentativeness present in me as someone who feels like, no, I'm a powerful woman. Like I know how to get what I want out of the world. And I have demonstrated that many, many times um, to still have these sort of hangups in this most intimate space uh, demonstrated to me, I think how, how deeply ingrained they are. And I think the, something we've talked about before, the expectation that women aren't really supposed to ask for anything um, mm-hmm. that it really is supposed to be about you know, pleasing him and how do you know, the angst I felt around like, Oh my goodness, how do I tell him this doesn't work for me? And what I really need is this. And will he fall apart? And will, you know, will it you know, blow things up or whatever for 
reasons that had nothing to do with sex, that relationship um, didn't work out. And I later started dating this other man, um, the man I'm in a relationship with now. And um, it was, it had a very different energy right from the beginning, very organic, very easy, also kind and loving and a caring person. Um, But I think the first time we had sex afterwards, he was like, he just turned to me very casually and easily just lying there in bed and was like, is there anything that I'm not doing that you want me to be doing more of? Oh my goodness. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I have a worksheet about this. (laughs) You gave me a worksheet. Hold on. Um, But what struck me, I mean, of course it was very sweet. He like something like that happens absolutely every day where I'm like, Oh, you're so amazing. Wow. But um, the ease of it was what struck me. Like he was, he felt at ease asking me, he was clearly genuinely interested in how to get better at pleasing me. That was a top priority for him. And, um, you know, any, and it gave me a different level of confidence and ease so that, that I could ask for things. And when I did, he'd be like, hop to it. Yes. I'd love to, <laughs> you know, I'd love to do that. Nice. Yeah, so it I think the hallmark of that what struck me about that was ease. It just felt easy. Mm-hmm. Um and I ha I you know I ha I th- reflected on it a little. I think I'm still it's still in the early days, so it's still sort of fresh too too fresh for me to have completely analyzed it. Um but I think the key is I'm I'm completely clear that his interest is in serving and pleasing me and that he wants to be good at that wherever he gets the information. It's not connected to his ego. Yeah. I have been really blessed, um, especially with my current partner, because I spent most of my life just trying to figure out how to please my partner and my pleasure not really being a part of it at all. And now with my partner, his pleasure is entirely wrapped up in my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like he gets turned on by seeing me turned on. Mm-hmm. He gets pleasure from seeing me orgasm, even if he doesn't orgasm. It's such a different dynamic. And I feel so fortunate to have found that. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, I think I just didn't, I'm not going to say I didn't really believe that existed. Um, and a part of it is definitely me too. Mm -hmm. And, but I, I can't say something drastic changed in me between the two partners. I think there was just, I certainly, it was work I was doing and trying to get more comfortable and confident in, um, the image I'm having in my mind is just like him sort of sweeping his hand to a space between us and being like, please like fill it with information about how I can, you know, please you better. Like just sweeping that space open just happily. And similarly, like just so enjoys and is turned on by my pleasure that it's not incidental. Like, Oh, let me, you know, finish you off. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. But that he's like, just like loves it. And I'm like, huh? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it's 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 it carries as a thread in the rest of the relationship that he's oriented towards that, towards serving, towards um 
take t- caretaking. And that's mm-hmm. a role that I usually take. And so it feels very weird. It feels mm-hmm. very unusual, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. You, and it's more, like more relaxing. Like it's just, there's more, it's just, again, there's just so much more ease. Yeah. And I want to make a clarification for anyone who is listening to this and thinking, wow, these men that they're talking about must be such pussies or they must be effeminate or uh, no. it couldn't be further from no. the truth. I mean, my partner is extremely masculine yeah, and same. that is part of what I value about him is the masculinity that he brings while also being, being able to bring that tenderness and care. Tenderness. Yeah. That's a great word. Tender is one of my, I have sort of three sort of words that I put out into the universe where I want my partner to be like, and tender was one of the three words. Mm. Um, And I I reflect on that about him a lot because he's, I mean, one, he's like physically very like large and imposing. And so often I'm thinking like, wow, like he's so like, (laughs) you are man. (laughs) Everything you do. I'm like, oh my God you are man. Like I <laughs> everything from like your urine stream to whatever, like so powerful. Um, and yet there is this tenderness there that doesn't, it's, it isn't effeminate at all. It doesn't feel like it takes, I, I, I'm so curious about that. Like, where does that come from? How do you build it into someone, yeah. uh, you know, as we're raising boys and what is that connection? There's something there for me in that it's like, the two things are not connected in his system. Like he's not proving anything. Oh, interesting. Um, and so there isn't like whatever the, the button isn't connected to something that means something about his, his, you know, worth or value. And so it, there's more space for it. There's ease there as opposed to like, what do you mean? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like we're working together on something, you know, like we're both working on this orgasm and we're going to get there. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm definitely going to get a reward. And then he really feels super excited about it too. So great. Before we finish up, let's do the quick five, five quick questions. We'd usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What's the kinkiest thing you enjoy? Hmm. Public sex. Oh, I love having sex in public. How do you define public sex? Like in a, in a shaded place where people might catch you or in a sex club or how do you mean that? I mean, like in a dressing room at the department store or, Mm -hmm. you know, a a restroom at a, restaurant (laughs) in a parking lot yeah you might get caught but Uh probably won't how do you feel about the smell or taste of your own juices if a partner kisses you after oral sex I love the smell I love the smell um I'm not crazy about the taste but it doesn't bother me I think Mm -hmm. it's more important to kiss them if they want to kiss you Mm -hmm. intimacy wise something else I never used to allow I never have intimate, emotionally intimate sex, but I can now. How do you feel when a partner loses or can't get an erection? Very frustrated. Mm -hmm. I don't demonstrate it. 
but it almost makes me angry. Angry at your partner or angry at yourself? Them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's irrational because it's not. I, it's not as if they control it. But um, yeah, I mean, when, I think when I'm when I'm in the throes, if I can't have what I want, it feels very very frustrating. Uh huh. So it's a it, it's about you getting your needs met, but it it's not about like feeling like you're not sexy enough and and twisting that to become oh, angry at your partner. Oh, oh, whoa. Um, maybe. Damn, <laughs> Leah. Um, <laughs> now I do blame myself. I do blame myself. That's too strong a word, but it's what I said, so I'm going to stick with it. If they don't come, like mm-hmm. if not necessarily lose the erection, but just like stop, you know, and and which sometimes you just you know same thing on my end. I might be like, look, it's just not going to happen today, right? Um, but in the times when they like just stop make they're tired or whatever, but they haven't come that I, that I do feel like, Oh my God, what did I not do enough of? I should have been louder. I should have like said more or whatever. Yeah. I take that really hard, even Mm. though I know it's not my fault. Do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters? I do. It drives me crazy. (laughs) Do you enjoy giving as much as receiving dirty talk? I enjoy receiving more, but I am, skilled at giving to encourage receiving (laughs) you know sometimes they won't go there until you do I also find that men I'm not I mean I guess I can't say this about men in general but my partners I have an idea about being loving that doesn't sometimes doesn't allow for some of the like quote-unquote dirtier aspects yeah and I'm like, you know, we can be in love and we can make love and you can still say, hey, <laughs> get it's okay. Yeah. We still love each other. <laughs> but they have this idea about like what's fucking versus what's making love. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes you want to fuck. <laughs> yeah. Do you orgasm from intercourse? <gasps> I do now. Ooh. I didn't used to. And I always had this like lecture that I would give people about like, you know, only 30% of women <laughs> orgasm from intercourse. This is like a lie that porn is telling you. And I still, you know, my most powerful orgasms come from clitoral stimulation, but there's like a, like an internal kind that's like a little deeper and more like earthquakey that I've only recently noticed with the, the first guy I slept with after sort of re-entering the world. Awesome. And I was like, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> so you asked me about, that came to me in the rapid fires. You asked me about the difference between before my sort of breaking open and after. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mention this, but it was one of the big features, which is that before I would not, I couldn't allow emotional intimacy during sex. Mm. I was much more like a stereotypical man in that way. Like I didn't like eye contact, kissing, like the more we can do it doggy style, the better. Um, And it was a physical transaction to me. Um, And after now that emotional connection is really important to me. And so the kissing and the eye contact and the, and the, 
feeling the emotional responsiveness of the other person um, became not just allowable, but something I really need. Mm. So I thought that was a really marked difference too, that demonstrated to me that my own capacity for emotional intimacy had shifted, uh, had shifted considerably. And I think it was another example of not being able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Well, that's really lovely, and I'm really happy for you. Even though it took an incredibly painful experience to get there, I'm really happy for you that you are in this place where you're feeling more broken open and able to be vulnerable and able to experience. That's just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for doing this. This has been such an exciting conversation. I've loved every minute of it. So thank you. Me too. And I had some ahas. I'm going to have to go journal now. Thanks for joining me today on Good Girls Talk About Sex. If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at leah at goodgirlstalkaboutsex.com. I was only able to step outside my good girl box when someone I respected told me it was possible to do it. If you'd like to step outside your good girl box, I'm here to tell you it's possible. And I can provide you with tools to name your desires and communicate them effectively to your partner or potential partners. If you're interested in working with me, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at I am Leah Carey. You can find these links and any resources we've mentioned during the interview in the show notes. I'm Leah Carey, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Here's to your better sex life.